Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 12, titled, Ready for His Return? Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Greg and band. How's everybody doing? All looking good, looking tanned, well-fed. Try to challenge that. Let's do that. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We've said this before, but I remind you, chapter 12 and um, most of chapter 13, even though we've been almost a month in chapter 12, and how much more, how many more weeks we're going to be in chapter 12 than chapter 13, Jesus says all those words in chapter 12 and 13 in about 20 minutes. So tra- we need to track together understand that these are things that are Jesus is just these are constant things that Jesus is teaching it's not the it's not the first time that Jesus taught these things and and maybe the first time he's taught them exactly these ways but as we're going through this we have chapter breaks we have verses we have all these other things you understand that these were not in the original things that Jesus said and in most in many cases like I said you got two chapters here Jesus basically says them in about 20 minutes uh, so, so he's teaching constantly these same messages over and over again to his disciples that we talked about last time. Why? Because they were thick, just like you and I. He didn't hear it, you hear it the first time, but you didn't really get it, so you need to hear it again. So he wouldn't say it exactly the same way every single time, and so you find these different writers of the New Testament recording a similar phrases in, a, in, in different contexts and under different circumstances in different ways. It's not that Jesus is misspeaking, it is just that every time he teaches, every time you told your kids something, did you say it the exact same way? Of course not. Sometimes you said it louder, sometimes you said it longer, sometimes you added illustrations about their father, that he, if you act like your dad, you're going to turn, you know, that kind of stuff, you know. I don't know. So the same thing is happening here, and Jesus is running through some very important doctrines here very quickly, and so we need to bunch together First of all, just what he said in chapter 12. So he's warned us, first of all, to beware of, the, of false teachers and false teaching. Beware. The greatest existential threat on the planet today in the days of Jesus was false teaching because it, will lead, it can lead a soul away from God and permanently plant them in a place where they cannot be reached by the message of Christ and die and go to hell. So it doesn't matter how prosperous you are in this life. It doesn't matter how well you do, how well healed, as we said, that you are. If you pass out of this life without a relationship with Jesus, you are doomed. There's not going to be another chance. There are there, does Jesus give us another chance? Yes, today's another chance for you. You're alive and breathing. You need to accept him as Lord. Have you done that? Have you turned your life over to Christ? Have you repented of the ways you thought was going to save you and turned to Christ? Today's your second or fourth or 100th chance. But as soon as you breathe your last, there will not be another chance. And so if we're listening to false teaching that leads us away from the truth of Christ, like I said, this is the greatest existential threat on the planet. Second greatest threat is the, the delusion of riches. And we, Jesus goes over all, beware of both of these things. And he goes off of these things and jumps straight into what we're going to read here in verse 35. Notice verse 34, we're in chapter 12. He says, for where your treasure is, there's your heart will be also. In other words, don't be deluded by, by who, what you have and what you're worth is not who you really are. You can possibly be rich to yourself and be poor towards God and step out of this life, and it's not going to be a good thing. Do not be deluded by riches. And then he steps right into what we need to be... So don't be, don't be distracted by these things, false teaching and riches, 
But pay attention to these things. Be dressed, he says. He's speaking metaphorically. In readiness. What are we getting ready for? He's going to tell us here. Keep your lamps alight. Somebody that's ready to move. Ready to go. Not asleep, at least spiritually speaking. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. Wedding feasts in that day started, they just started when they were ready for them. It may start today. It may start tomorrow. They may end today. They may end tonight. It's whenever you ran out of food and drink. It's when everybody went home. They didn't have certain times. So they began and ended randomly. So likewise, if you're waiting for your master to come home and he's at a wedding feast, you didn't know when that was going to be. Be ready, he says. Like men waiting for the master at a wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. What's he talking about here? He's not talking about you being a slave and belonging to somebody. He's talking about the real master, him, coming back. Keep watching, verse 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself and serve. And masters don't do that. But Jesus will. And have them recline at the table and he will come up and wait on them. So if I'm ready for him, I'm waiting for him. One of the blessings, the rewards I'm going to get is that part of heaven is going to be him serving me. That's a wild thought, isn't it? it I'm not saying this. I, I am saying this. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching. Pay attention. Whether he comes in the second watch, that's middle of the night, or the third watch, even more the middle of the night, and finds them so, that is, ready. Blessed are those slaves. Be sure of this, that at the head of the house, here's another illustration, changes metaphors. The head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming. If a thief sends you a note and says, I'm going to be breaking in at 3.30, what are you going to be? Waiting for him, right? Door's locked. Thieves don't, they don't give you that luxury, do they? But had you known, right, you'd have been waiting for him. Likewise, if the head of the house had known at what time the hour the, the thief was coming, he would not have allowed him to be broken into. It goes without saying, right? Now he's going to sum it up with one phrase here in verse 40. This is where we're going to, we're going to hold on right here. You too be ready, as, as the slave would, as the owner of the house would. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Did you wake up today saying, could be today? Did you? All the more reason why it could be today, because that's exactly what he says. You didn't expect him today? It might be the day, therefore. You didn't wake up saying, could it be today? Might be today, for sure. 1880s, the place to be in Pennsylvania. We have, we have people here from Pennsylvania. Who's, who's from Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania. We have, y'all are the only PA people here? PA, anybody? We've got New Yorkers. We've got, it's just not the winner. It makes you unique and special. So you're the only ones here that can verify what I'm saying. Everybody else, they have no idea, right? No, here. In 1880s, the place to be in Pennsylvania was not too far outside of Pittsburgh in a town called Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It was a small town, but it was a, um, uh, a 30,000-person town. And uh, this, this, this town was the place to be. It had jobs. It was a great place to raise a family. It was a great place to uh, just do anything. It was, a, it was a, a playground for the big names like an Andrew Carnegie or an Andrew Mellon. Uh, it was a place to be, like I said, outside of Pittsburgh, surrounded by mountains. Uh, been there, I guess. Or they, Where are you all from? Are you all close to that? I don't know. Other side of PA. Okay. 
Uh, beautiful trees, just a gorgeous place to be, uh, a place where people wanted to be. Uh, May 30th, 1889, something happened. Not something unusual, but the next day something definitely unusual happened. May, May 30th, 1889, they had a 10-inch rain. And it was a flood, but not really a flood. Uh, they, the river rose. There's a river that runs right through the middle of that town still today. Uh, the river rose a little bit, but not so much, and so not too alarmed. The next day, it was May 30th, the next day was, was Memorial Day. They had planned this big parade. There was going to be a speaker, you know, all the fanfare and all the things that were taking, taking place there. And so they went ahead and had their beautiful, sunshiny day, Memorial Day, uh, May 31st. Uh, the Methodist pastor in the town, H.L. Chapman, said this about that event. He said, that morning was delightful. The city was in its gayest mood with flags, banners, flowers everywhere. Streets were more crowded than they had ever seen before. So everything seemed to be going along, trucking along just fine. Unbeknownst to everyone there, though, there was, they knew about this earthen dam. Miles up the river above the town was this old earthen dam that was holding back water. They used it for a reservoir for all kinds of things, including fishing. That earthen dam began to break. 57 minutes from the time that it broke, 57 minutes later, a 60-foot wall of water moved through Johnstown. Everybody's there. Everybody's in the streets. Forty-something thousand people gathered for this very special occasion. Most survived this, but 2,000 people lost their lives. Completely changed the whole attitude and direction of that town. They found bodies as far away as Cincinnati. That's how massive the flood. So Pennsylvania, right? Ohio and Cincinnati's in the middle of Ohio. That's how far away uh, this flood washed uh, those who, who fell victim to it. So, so, so one of the greatest disasters that ever, that ever take, took place on continental U.S. was the disaster of Johnstown. The, the disaster that took place not too many years later in 1900 was the flood or the, the uh, Galveston hurricane. And of course, uh, the third greatest or the greatest disaster was 9-11 here in 2001. Those three natural or disasters are the three greatest in United States, continental United States history. They all were about the same. Everything's rocking along fine. It's just another day. It's a sunshiny day. Life is good. Going to work, going to play, going to eat, playing, spending time with family, and everything was fine until it wasn't. Such is the event that the Bible predicts that is headed our way, the rule of the thumb that everything continues along as normal until it isn't normal anymore. The Bible speaks of a similar event, but it won't be a local event. It won't be just for Galveston or Johnstown or, or, or New York City or Washington, D.C. It will be global, and that global event is the return of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that that's coming? Do you believe Jesus when he says you need to be ready? It's incredibly important that you do. He is going to bring to an end what we know of as history in a climactic way. He's going to return for those who belong to him and leave those who do not belong to him. In fact, the Bible tells us, that it, it describes it in the sense of a flood. Look at what it says here in Matthew 24, Jesus' own words. How many times does he have to say it for us to believe it, right? For in, as in those days before the flood, talking about the flood of Noah in the Old Testament, global event, right? Catastrophic. As it was in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying. It was just a regular day. Giving in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Just like that. Everything is fine. Everything is the same. Everything is normal. Until 
it isn't. The predictions, listen, of Jesus' first coming, which we're very familiar with. We hear them every Christmas. We hear them every year. Jesus' first coming to earth. The predictions in the scriptures are prolific. There's 300 and something predictions that Jesus literally fulfilled. Predictions just in broad brushstrokes of him being born in Bethlehem, right? Him being born to a virgin, right? Him being born of the tribe of Judah, the descendant of David, being rejected by his people, the Jews, being crucified, being raised again, ascended into heaven. We know these, right? We know them. They were predicted hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth in the Old Testament. They're still sitting there. In fact, when Jesus was asked how to validate, how can you prove that you're Messiah, he would quote to them verses from the Old Testament that says, this is who I am. This is where I came from. The, the, the important thing for us to understand is that in his first coming, he fulfilled those predictions to the T, literally. Like you read in the Old Testament that a virgin is going to conceive. So your 16-year-old daughter comes home and says, I'm going to have a baby, but I'm a virgin. Do you believe her? Of course not. Of course not. But this virgin did conceive. How could it possibly be literal? That a man is going to die and be in a grave for three days and then resurrect. But it was. These incredible predictions of the Old Testament. But many people check them off and say, this can't possibly be true. It's going to be, God didn't mean it when he said that. It must mean something else. So we can use, and of course we know, Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, literally. But the predictions concerning his, not his first coming, but his second coming, are far more prolific. For every single prophecy... Of Jesus' first coming, these that we're so familiar with that we know he fulfilled literally. For every single prophecy in the Bible of Jesus' first coming, there are eight prophecies of his second coming. Eight. Eight to one ratio. And yet you hear people say all the time, well, this is sort of an optional, we treat it, unfortunately, as an optional doctrine. So it's optional to breathe, to, to believe just a Eight times as many prophecies in the Scripture? You're just going to write them all off? Like, like they don't exist? I mean, to say that it's, not, that it's an important event in the future is an understatement, and to say that it's a cardinal doctrine of the Bible is not an overstatement. Jesus is coming. Jesus is literally coming. As much as His coming the first time was literal, so will it be. All doctrines and events lead to this one thing. He's coming. He's coming. God gives very dire warnings to those who mess with this doctrine. I said we can, some people consider it to be kind of a secondary doctrine. It doesn't really matter. As long as you believe in Jesus, which, I mean, part of me would say that, you need to trust Christ. doesn't matter how you believe about the end times, and uh, I would have to differ with that. The Bible has so much to say about it. In fact, it goes on to say uh, such a dire warning about those who would mess with such a doctrine. Look what it says here in Revelation. Of course, the book of Revelation is the book of Jesus' second coming. What's going to happen, the events that surround his second coming, the catastrophic events of global ca- catastrophe that's going to be taking place there. And the book ends, unlike any other book, making a very dire warning against those who might mess with it, might want to write the ending some other way. Notice what it says there. I testify to you, John speaking. Everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Well, who would be an idiot enough to do that? Well, there's a bunch of them. Let me name some for you. The Mormons. They wrote their own ending to the book. Not smart. Would you agree? Not smart. 
Jehovah's Witnesses wrote their own ending to the book. Not smart. They don't fear God. They fear something else. Uh, lots of preachers who write it off. There's a lot of preachers who stand in good pulpits like mine who otherwise are strong Bible preachers who basically say the end, Jesus isn't really coming back. Really? Really? Look at what it says here. God will add to him the plagues that are written. Of all the books you don't want the plagues added to you from, it's from the book of Revelation. Crying out loud. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, prophecy, God will take away from his part, from the tree of life, from the holy city, which is written in this book. Very dire warnings. The perilous thing to tamper with the doctrine of the end times. But there's a lot to do. There's a lot to mess with it. There's a lot who say, it's already happened. By the way, that was, that's false teaching. That was happening, though, that kind of teaching was happening way back in the time of the New Testament. Notice Paul points some of these things out here in 2 Thessalonians. He warns the, the church there about those who would pervade that kind of doctrine, that Jesus has already come back or that the end times aren't going to end the way it says. Notice what he says here. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's what we're dealing with here. Jesus says, be ready for it. And our being gathered to him, that's the rapture, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by teaching allegedly from us, because that kind of stuff was going around, to the effect, asserting, that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Why were they doing stuff like that? Why would you do something like that? Why would you mess with such an incredibly important doctrine? He's going to go that. He just warns them about this over here as he's speaking to Titus or Timothy. He tells us who did it. He names these guys. How would you like to have your name in the Bible doing something you ought not to do? Wow. Permanent. The Word of God lasts forever. This is a permanent record. And these knuckleheads, these, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Now notice, not peanut butter, not jam. That'd be nice. That's nice stuff. Gangrene is horrible. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are, there's these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth particularly, they say that the resurrection has already, that Jesus has already come back. Messing with this doctrine. Don't mess with it. Let it say what it says. You've got a problem with it, you've got a problem. Leave it alone, though. Don't touch it. The Bible, let's be clear, is God's book, right? It's God's book. He inspired it. He breathed it, it says, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He, it says in 2 Peter, he carried the prophets along by his spirit so that they wouldn't interpret from their own hearts. They would only say what God had led them to say. So God has overseen the construction of this book called the Bible. It's his book. What would make us think, in our wildest dreams, that he lets us write the ending to it? That's crazy, isn't it? People are doing it all the time. All the time. Writing their end? To, their own, to, to God's book? I mean, how audacious does a person have to be to do something like that? Don't mess with the teachings of this thing. It's interesting. We agree on almost all aspects of Scripture. Orthodox teaching, Orthodox preaching, Orthodox seminaries. I went to, to great seminary where good preachers. I've, I've been under the teaching privilege to be under the preaching of, and teaching of great preachers, great teachers. We agree almost, almost everything in the Scriptures. Six-day creation, Miracles of the Old Testament, the virgin birth of Christ, Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, uh, uh, the mission of the church. But then you get to the doctrine of end things. It's called eschatology. It means just the study of end events. When you get to the doctrine of eschatology, we have as many opinions as we have preachers. 
Here's what I know. When everybody disagrees, probably nobody's right. When everybody disagrees, first of all, when, when, the, when the, the church of God can't agree on something, do we therefore have the mind of the Spirit? No. He's just got one mind. When the church of God cannot agree, when preachers can't agree on, on what the Scriptures say, do we have the mind of the Spirit? No. No, we do not. So, so, so why, why is this true? Of course, I'm pervading myself as the one who has the correct doctrine, so be careful of that. Let me just say this to you. I don't have the correct doctrine, but I can tell you how to have the correct doctrine. Hopefully, hopefully I do. But I, I will, I'm going to teach you right now how not to have me. How do you understand the end-time events? It's very simple. The reason why pe- preachers and teachers and Bible teachers disagree is because they do not take it literally. It's just that simple. So I write you a letter, and I say, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, and then you take it to everybody and say, well, what he really meant was turn right, turn left, turn left, turn right. So what I said is not what I mean. What you say is what I mean. Really? And why would I bother writing a letter with such clear instructions? Why why do we not take the end events and what Jesus says about these end events literally? Oh, well, it says Jesus is coming back, but what it actually means is... Let Let me just say this clearly to you, and this is the reason why we disagree on the end time events. If it doesn't say, if it doesn't mean what it clearly does say... If it doesn't mean what it clearly does say, then it can mean anything. You got your opinion. You got your opinion. I got my opinion. It's interesting. People ask me about the end events and about how I feel about things. And, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody who does that, and you're welcome to ask me how I feel. But let me just say this to you carefully. Why would it matter a hill of beans what I feel? Why, why should it matter to you? Because how I feel has no bearing on it whatsoever. I cringe when I sit in Bible studies and I hear people say, well, how do you feel about so-and-so verse? I want to throw up. Let me just say this to you very clearly and try not to offend you. I don't care how you feel. Neither should you care how I feel. Neither should we care how all of us collectively feel about any particular thing. The question that we need to answer is, what does it say? What is it? Whatever it says, that's what it is. I don't have to feel good about it. I don't have to like it. Who cares what I think about it? I think about a lot of crazy stuff. What it says is what it says. Let it say what it says. The reason why we have so many different conclusions about the end time events is because we take all these other things literally. And we get to end time events and we want to say, that's not what it really means. Really? How audacious. How arrogant are we? Hold any other position than what Jesus simply says. Can, can, cannot a second grader understand verse 40? You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Boom! Take it to the bank. It's going to be just like that. He's coming, and you won't know when he does. You'll know as soon as he does. But you know when. That is fear. Everything is not going to stay the way that it is. There's going to be a supernatural invasion from outside of our space-time domain that's going to end life as we know it and usher in a time that God has been predicting in the Scriptures, like I said, prolifically. A certain event at an uncertain time. Let's take a careful look at what Jesus has to say here to us here in verse 4. Like I said, we're just going to hang out there on that verse. You too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not know. Why doesn't he call himself the Son of God? Because he is. 
Why does he call himself the Messiah? Because he is. Why does he call himself the creator of the universe? Because that's what he is. Why does he pick that title? First of all, let me say about this title, you all have the same title as he does. Anybody here not born of a man? You're an alien, came from a spaceship maybe? I don't know, some of these young people possibly, because they're looking kind of... <laughs> some of you back there, found under a cabbage leaf. But the rest of us here had a father. That's how we... And a mom. Man, I don't even know who they are, but I promise you, if you came on this earth, that's how you got here. You are a son or a daughter of a man, right? It doesn't work any other way. So you have the same, Jesus is taking your title. He's, he's saying he's just like you. Well, this is a massive statement, incredibly important for us to understand. The incarnation, that God became a man. So in the midst of Jesus saying, you need to be careful, there's a catastrophic event that's going to end the life for many people who were found on the wrong side of this. Don't you dare be on the wrong side of this. In the middle of all that, he's calling himself the Son of Man. That's a, in, the, in the midst of great darkness, that's a great light. That means he's come all the way to us. So before he ever comes in glory, he's come as the Son of Man. He's coming to reach you. He's coming to say to you, Listen, I, I want you to be saved. I don't want you to be caught up in this. I don't want you to be on the wrong side of this. So I'll become just like you. You're driving down the road and you see a neighbor who frequently leaves her dog out. And the dog's running around on the street and going out on the highway. And you're concerned about the dog because what happens to a dog running on the street and highway? very long. Right? She's not going to live very long. So what are you going to do? You're going to intervene. You go talk to your neighbor and say, listen, you need to keep her in the yard because I'm telling you, these cars, there's kids running up and down this street wide open. They're, that dog's not going to last very long. So you would go out of your way to care for a dog, right? But would you become a dog so that you could convince the dog not to run around the streets? See, that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't just go from the heavens, hey, watch out, you're going to get run over down there. He became one of us, the son of man. See, in the midst of this dark prophecy, is a very important light. Have you come to Christ? See, he's come to you. He's come to you. He's become one of you. He's become one of us. In fact, permanently, the Bible says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't go back to being just God. He remained a man. Today in heaven, sitting on the throne of God, is a, a Jewish man. Blows the mind, right? He became permanently one of us to tell us how great his love is for us and how desperately, how desperate do you have to be to become permanently one of us? How desperately do you want to communicate to some group somehow that you become one of them like he did to care for us that, that greatly? Wow. No way to deny that Jesus loves us. No way to deny that God loves us because he became one of us. He calls himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the title of his humility. He became us. Remaining God, but also becoming one of us. That's, that's amazing. But it's also, hear me carefully, Son of Man is the title of his second coming. It's significant. Watch what this says here in Daniel. Daniel, this is Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel is seeing this vision in chapter 7 of the world regimes, and they're coming up out of the sea, one after another. First the, the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, and then some hybrid version of the Romans, which we know of is going to be the, the regime of the Antichrist, the world-ending regime in which he's, this guy is going to control and wreak havoc all over the world. In the midst of that prophecy, 
Daniel sees this vision of how it's going to all end. And how does it end? Well, exactly like Jesus said it did in the New Testament. I was watching. In the night visions, and behold, one like a, the Son of Man. See, Jesus doesn't just pull this title out of his head. He pulls it straight from Scriptures. All of his authority, all of his direction, all of everything that backs up what Jesus did was found in the Old Testament, written down, Daniel writes this down almost 600 years before Jesus ever comes to earth. It's already there. He just simply is pulling from what God has already said. Again, God takes his prophets and carries them along by his spirit to say the exact things that he wants them to say, even the titles of his son, 600 years before he ever enters graces the earth. One like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. From where? From up there to down here. He came to the ancient of days, God, and brought before him near, and they brought him near before him, and then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. The exact same thing Jesus is promising. I'm coming back, and everyone's gonna, it's going to all be mine. It's going to all be turned over to me. Just like Daniel says here, everything, every, every language, every tongue, every person, every piece of property, it's all going to be his. And it's, he, people aren't going to forfeit this stuff willingly. It's going to be catastrophic. But I want you to notice several things concerning what says here in Daniel and the way Jesus interprets it here in the New Testament. Things to apply to our lives. Several things to notice here. Number one, Jesus validates what's coming by what God has already said. This is incredibly important. Don't you wish you knew what was coming next? I can tell you how. Agree with what God has already said. When Jesus was asked, what's coming next? What's happening? Who are you? He would always go back to what God had already said and 100% believed it and fulfilled it himself. Now, are you better than Jesus? Now, you cannot be better than Jesus. Do what he did. God calls the future accurately through his prophets. And this writing of Daniel and the Old Testament in general is written more than 400 years before Jesus ever graces the earth. And everything written about him came true. So what's gonna, what, how can we know about what the future? Everything about him is going to come true that, is all, that has been prophesied about the future as well. So number one, Jesus validates what's coming by what God has already said. How can I know what's coming next? Read the Bible. Believe the Bible. Novel idea. Take it for what it is. God speaking to you. Bible is not something through which God speaks. The Bible is God speaking. I, I am something through which God speaks, I hope, by God's grace. But I'm not the Bible. I'm not something that every time you hear me, God is speaking. On the other hand, the Bible is something every time you're reading it, this is God speaking to you. Not an instrument that God uses. It is the Word of God itself. Be careful with that. God validates what Jesus validates what's coming by what God has already said. Number two, Jesus takes the prophecy of Daniel literally. What, is he some kind of nut? You can't believe the literal stuff here, right? Yeah. Notice it says very clearly in Daniel, the Son of Man is going to come and all dominion is going to be handed over to him. All the dominion of the Antichrist and everything is going to be handed over to him. Jesus says, that's the same thing. I'm coming, right? You two be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Calls himself by the same title. Refers to the same thing. Referring to this very verse when he says that. 
So, so Daniel is standing on earth, it's a literal earth, where the Son of Man is coming from a literal heaven to a literal earth to receive a kingdom, a literal kingdom of dominion over literal people with literal languages and literal properties and literal nations. All that is going to be his. So, so if Jesus interprets this literally, are you smarter than Jesus? Are you smarter than Jesus? Then let it say what it says. Don't, and the, the preachers like me are the worst. I know because we got degrees and we think we understand the Hebrew and the Greek, and maybe some do, and I don't. But, I mean, I understand enough to know better than to say it's anything other than what it says. We stand up here and say, well, it says this, but what it actually means is this. Really? Oh, my goodness. How arrogant. Why can't it say this and mean that? Why can't it? That's exactly the way Jesus interpreted it. It says Jesus is coming 600 years before Jesus ever graced the earth. It says he's coming again, not the first time, but the second time. Jesus effectively says, it's just going to be just like that. Just like that. Be, in fact, be ready for it. Gives us three illustrations. Be like a slave. Be like, a, like an owner of a house. Be careful for the landowner. Maybe coming home soon. Be, be careful. Be ready. Watch out. Watch out. We're no smarter than Jesus. If Jesus took it literally... So should we. And then the third thing, Jesus repeats this theme on multiple occasions, as if he needs to. I mean, how many times does he have to say something for it to be true? But this theme is over and over. He's preaching the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's the final, it's the final tally. When everything's over. When it's all summed up. He's come to become the Son of Man so that we can, we can become a part of that kingdom. So that we're, when, when he comes to shake everything, when the audit happens... That you're not on the wrong side of the audit. He's, he's come so that you can be his. Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Notice, he interprets it literally. He interprets it literally. Again, that was Mark 14, Matthew 16. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Literally. It's coming. He's coming. One more place, Luke. These are just samples. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Make sure that whatever you're doing is something you want to be caught at doing. Make sure that whatever you're doing, that when the audit comes, it shows that you were on the right side of the books. Make sure. Oh, things are free floating around here. It's kind of like the, the, uh, the alarm. Well, the, fire, the smoke alarm never goes off, therefore the house will never burn down. Really? Well, now it's going off. You're going to ignore it? Not very smart. Not very smart. Make sure you're doing what you want to be caught at doing because we're all going to get caught. This is not an optional doctrine. He's telling us how it all ends. Pay attention. Pay attention. So it's a certain event at an uncertain time. Back to verse 40. A day and an hour that you do not expect. I already said it before. Did you wake up this morning saying it could be today? I hope you did, but if you didn't, it may mean all the more so that it could be today. Since you weren't expecting him, but maybe it is today. Because that's the way it's going to work. This is what, what theologians call the doctrine of imminence. That means it could happen at any time. No, no prerequisites. Imminence. It used to be in the days, like I said, the 1900 uh, uh, hurricane of, 
of Galveston, they really didn't know that, that a hurricane was coming. One day, everything was okay, and the next day, they had a 200-and-something-mile-an-hour hurricane plow over the island and killed thousands of people. Just, it was imminent. No way to know. Today, hurricanes aren't imminent. You want to know why? Because I have a tracker on my phone. Tells me when the wind speed goes up, when it goes down, where it's headed, what the trajectory is, what the, what the barometric, I don't even know what that means, but barometric pressure, pressure of the thing is. I mean, we have all these, we know 10 days out. Now, we can't stop it, right? I mean, if it's going to hit, it's going to hit. But it's not imminent, strictly speaking, because we're forewarned. Not so with the coming of Christ. There will be no warning. There will be no word. There will be no precursor. You won't get a text on your phone saying, by the way, we just saw Jesus. Get ready over there. None of that. He says, as the lightning flashes in the east and is also visible in the west, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Every eye will see it. You know, interesting, when you're laying in your bed at night and the lightning, there's lightning, you don't have to open your eyes to know there's lightning because it comes through your eyelids. Isn't that right? Because It flashes. So it doesn't matter if your eyes are closed, your eyes are open. It doesn't matter if you're going to bed, you're waking up. It doesn't matter if you're at work. It doesn't matter any of those things. When Jesus comes, you will know it. It's imminent. This week I got to go fishing on Wednesday and I had an imminent experience. And the imminent experience was I was riding this big, big boat and they had a great, all these fishing poles in a rack above us. And one of them wasn't correctly placed. And I happened to be standing underneath it. And the way I found that out was through the imminence of it falling down and cracking me on top of the head. And uh, which wasn't very fun. It was imminent. How, how so? I didn't see it coming. I didn't expect it to come. And when it hit me, I didn't know what happened. That is imminence. The return of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is imminent. It is imminent. Notice the way the writers of your New Testament handle it. This is Paul writing to Titus. We are, we live, we are to live sensibly, righteously. Why? In a godly manner. Because you don't want to be caught doing something you're not supposed to be doing. In the present age, looking for what? The blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. He was expecting it to happen in his lifetime. Was he wrong? He doesn't predict a date here, notice. He's not predicting a date, but he says it could be any day. We need to be careful how we're living. He's right. That's exactly what Jesus told us to do. He's right. This is Paul's position, James' position, the brother of Jesus, the blood brother, half-brother of Jesus. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until what? The coming of our Lord. Wow. Expecting his lifetime. That's imminence. That's correct. That's the right position. Peter, the end of all things is near. What was he expecting? In his lifetime. That's correct. That's believing. Yeah, when the alarm goes off, that could be, could be any time. I don't know. There's nothing to precede it. So therefore, we need to be sound judgment, sober in spirit, purpose for the purpose of prayer. Uh, one more. John, notice, why should we be these things? Because you're going to get caught at doing something. Make sure it's the right stuff. Little children, when uh, remain in him, so that when, not if, when he appears, we may have confidence and not draw back from him and shame at his coming. Could that be possible? Don't get caught doing something you shouldn't be doing. Don't be involved in stuff you shouldn't be involved in. Don't, don't get distracted, as Jesus says here, distracted by riches, distracted by false teachings. Get involved in stuff you shouldn't get involved in. Get pulled away. No, stick with it. Stay sober, as Peter said there. Stick with it. But concerning that day and hour, like I said, it's a certain event on an uncertain day. Notice how clearly Jesus makes this to us. 
they began asking him, his disciples, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom? They're asking about a second coming. Is it going to happen today? Notice, pay careful attention to Jesus' response. He said to them, It is not for you to know the periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority. It is not for us to know. So if I've got some yahoo, some knucklehead, some goofy person, God bless them. That's the way you get over things. God bless them. Who's saying they know the date. What do you know? They think they're smarter than Jesus. They think they're smarter than the half of these guys that Jesus is speaking to write your New Testament. Think they're smarter than the writers of the New Testament. Wow. I'm afraid of a person like that. As if he needs to say it more than once, but he does. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Mark it carefully. And how many goofy people have sold their property and put on pajamas and gone up on, on roof somewhere? Wait, and then it doesn't happen. And it's like the smoke alarm that goes off the time. What happens is we stop listening. Hopefully you need to stop listening to the people like that, but it doesn't mean Jesus isn't coming. Because the smoke alarm goes off all the time doesn't mean your house isn't going to burn down. Pay attention. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. No offense, but I think they're smarter than you. Nor the son. Woo! I know he's smarter than you. Only the father. See, there was something about Jesus' earthly existence when he was down here on this earth that restricted him in his omniscience. Now, not anymore, but, but if, if earth is such an oppressive place that not even the Son can know the end while he's on the earth, what makes you think that you, just a child of God, can know more than the Son did? Really? No. Certain event. Uncertain time. So what do we do? Things to do. Number one, you need to accept him now. Son of man, he's come all the way to you. He's done all that he possibly can to reach you. He's become one of us so that he could die for us. What are you waiting for? God's not coming closer than that. He's speaking to you today. What's keeping you from calling on him as Savior? What's keeping you from repenting of whatever you thought was going to save you or rescue you? You're only going to get one shot at this. Not only a second round. What's keeping you from coming to Christ? Number one, we need to accept him now. Number two, we need to believe his word. Stop saying stuff like, how do you feel about what this says? I don't care how you feel. Neither should you care. What does it say? And what it says is what it says. I don't have to like it. I don't have to feel good about it. We don't have to all agree on it. I don't have to have a consensus. I just read it and it says, that's what it says. That's the best I can tell with my limited intellect. It says this, and so it must be this. Let it say what it says. So, so accept him. Believe his word. Look for him. So today you didn't wake up looking for him. Tomorrow you need to do that. And the next day. And the next. So you're not distracted by stuff that really doesn't matter. And as we're looking for him, warning others, saying, listen, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm telling you, things are not going to stay the way they are. There's coming a day in which things are going to drastically change. Everything's going to stay the same until it doesn't. And when that happens, don't want to be on the wrong side of this. I'm going to ask if you would, bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we conclude this morning, asking God's blessings upon what we've learned. God, I thank you that you love us enough, first of all, to become one of us, to reach down to us, to show us how much you love. You didn't just shout, I love you from heaven. You didn't just shout, look out for the bad stuff from heaven. 
Instead, you came down and became one of us so that you could warn us personally. And you remained one of us, having died to take our place so that we can be forgiven of our sins, so that we can be made right with God. The most important thing for us. God, I thank you. And now you're warning us of where our focus needs to be, not on this earth, not on the things of this earth which are going to pass away, but instead on who's coming to this earth. Lord, I pray that as we work, as we save, as we plan, that we wouldn't be just rich to ourselves, that we'd be rich towards God. Thank you, God, for speaking to us today. Thank you that we can be together. Bless these words in our hearts and minds, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.